everyone we have something to rejoice about amen we should be rejoicing as god's people one of these days he will take us home if we know the lord is our savior amen what a glorious day that will be let's stand together turn to page number 11 page number 11 this morning come thou fount of every blessing we'll sing all three verses to begin the service this morning page number 11 come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet. Sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help uncome, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, Interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Amen. Well, I'll tell you, it is good to be in God's house this morning, amen? And we're glad each one of you chose to be here as well. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer this morning uh, to open our service. It is good to see Brother Will Kennedy back this morning, amen? Thankful that he's healed up and able to be here this morning, and uh, thankful for those that are visiting back with us. We're glad you chose to be here this morning as well. But ask Brother Rich Raymer if you would pray for us as we open this morning, please. Amen. You may be seated. 
Before we go on, I just want to leave a couple of reminders with you. First of all, don't forget, if you have kids in Faith Baptist School, tomorrow is President's Day, and uh, so there'll be no school tomorrow. And uh, those kids, uh, whew, we've had several days off in a row now, all right? Uh, so be praying for them. They've got some work to make up, but there will be no school tomorrow uh, for President's Day. And then don't forget, uh, gentlemen, uh, if you're going to the Bacon and Bullets on Saturday, don't forget about that, all right? You need to sign up on, on the outer foyer on the table on, on the left on your way out. And uh, make sure that uh, if you're just going to eat and you want that bacon, amen. amen. All right, I guess somebody wants bacon. Um, I know some of you, some people don't like bacon. You, I don't know what in the world their problem is, but uh, anyway. Uh, but uh, make sure that uh, you sign up. If you're just going to the breakfast, put bacon out beside your name, and uh, you can certainly do that. And then uh, that way we know how many to get uh, signed up to go to the gun range afterward, all right? And don't forget, uh, teenage guys, you can also uh, go to this, but you need to be signed up with either a uh, dad or, or, uh, or an adult uh, that goes with you to make sure that you don't shoot anybody at the gun range, okay? And uh, so, well, I mean, that's really what it is. So, uh, I mean, just say it like it is, all right? We don't want anybody shot, okay? So uh, make sure that you uh, sign up appropriately for those things, all right? Uh, let's go ahead and turn to page number 660. Page number 660. Is it the crowning day? Let's sing it out on that first verse. Jesus may come today. Glad day, glad day. And I would see my friend. Dangers and troubles would end. If Jesus should come today. Glad day, glad day. Is it the crowning day? I'll live for today, nor anxious be. Jesus, my Lord, I soon shall see. Glad day, glad day. Is it the crowning day? I may go home today. Glad day, glad day. Seems like I hear their song. Hail to the radiant throng, if I should go home today. Glad day, glad day, is it the crowning day? I'll live for today, nor anxious be. Jesus, my Lord, I soon shall see. Glad day, glad day, is it the crowning It might be today, amen. What a great day that would be. Let's stand together and get around, shake hands with one another. Good to see each one of you here again. Glad for those that are visiting with us this morning.
page number 660 if you lost that page let's sing it out together on that last verse faithful i'll be today faithful i'll be today glad day glad day and i will freely tell why i should love him so well for he is my all today glad day glad day is it the crowning day i'll live for today nor anxious be jesus my lord i soon shall see glad day glad day is it the crowning day amen grace singing brother tim as the men come for the offering i'd like to read to you from romans chapter 12 he says in verse 9 let love be without dissimulation abhor that which is evil cleave to that which is good be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Brother Joe Quinlan, would you pray for the offering this morning? Amen. You may be seated.
It's good to have Brother Ben Quinlan here today and his family. His daughter Naomi, great job. Thank you for that special. Let's all stand together. Turn to page 182. Page 182, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. We'll sing all three verses for our last song together this morning. Page 182. God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior worth 
If you believe he lives, say amen this morning. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Wonderful singing this morning. I get to introduce to you now Brother Ben Quinlan, my partner in crime as we were growing up together. And he, we were just talking about this a minute ago. There is some truth to that. Um, maybe he'll, he might want to expound later. I don't know. But it is good to have... Uh, <laughs> It is good to have he and his family with us today. We sure love them out of our church and uh, just so thankful for the work they're doing up there in Glenwood, Iowa. And so he's going to come and preach for us now. Then come right ahead. We'll go ahead and take your Bibles, turn to the book of Judges, chapter 3. Judges, chapter 3. I, uh... <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, thank you, Brother Eric, for the warm welcome uh, introduction and all. And uh, obviously your pastor's not here today, <clears throat> but uh, if y'all could extend my thanks to him, and I'll do so for letting me come and preach. I, I don't take it for granted when a pastor uh, asks me to come and fill their pulpit. It is a great honor and a privilege, and uh, I understand uh, it's, a, it's a big deal. Uh, preaching the Word of God is nothing to take lightly or flippantly. Um, I've thought of several jokes I could tell this morning, but uh, usually those don't go well, so we'll just move on. Uh, I do count it an honor to be here. Uh, looking around this morning, I don't remember what exactly brought it up, but um, I, I remember now. So Dad and I were coming up for the men's meeting and looking at the building, just looking around as I do, and recognizing again that there's no bushes around the front of the building, around the sides. Years ago, when did they take those out? 10, 15 years ago? It's been a while, but they used to have all these bushes around the side, and I just asked Dad, so are they ever planning to put new shrubs or bushes or something? It's like, well, there's nothing been talked about. I'm like, oh, okay, just one of those things that changes, changes over time. And uh, I know that y'all have been going through the... Um, uh, the uh, parsonage over there and remodeling that it had needed some uh, dire improvements and uh, it's getting close to being done praise the lord for that i'm looking forward to being able to see it myself because i've seen the building long ago and i'm always interested in how those changes uh, look now and uh, tim has relayed to me uh, about uh, basement plumbing problems that prompted uh, remodel downstairs in some bathrooms and i've been told earlier about uh, plumbing problems over in the fellowship hall that that's going to be looking completely different and even just walking around these buildings recognizing that you know things are not the same as when I was 15 years old um, 32 years a little over 32 years ago is when I first came into this church and things are not the same and yet things are I enjoy looking around at how buildings change. Things get improved upon. There's not red carpet up here. Praise the Lord for that. There's all kinds of good things. And yet still the Word of God is being preached. Still God's people are going out to tell people that there is a God in heaven and a Christ who died for their sins. So as much as things change, things stay the same as well. And I praise the Lord for that. It's good to be able to come back home and not think, you know, I used to go to that church, but now I can't. I don't have to be in that place, and I praise the Lord for it. <sighs> That's exciting to think about. Anyway, all right, Judges chapter 3. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Judges chapter 3, we're going to start off reading verses 12 through 30. So I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand with me this morning, please. Uh, I know it's a longer passage, but uh, 
Uh, if you'll bear with me, we'll go through it relatively quickly. Uh, Judges chapter 3, starting off in verse 12. And one page off, so close. Verse 12. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel, and possessed the city of palm trees. I'll mention this here real quick. City of palm trees, oh, i got to mention two things real fast. Uh, so most of you know I like response. So if I ask a question, generally speaking, I need somebody to speak up and tell me. That, that helps me a lot. Uh, I'm used to not hearing amens, so if you don't amen a lot, I probably won't be asking for it. If you do, I will tell Brother uh, Stuart good things. So uh, I'll leave that up to y'all. But if I ask a question, I do need a response. So city of palm trees. Does anybody recall what the city of palm trees is? What city that is? Jericho. Absolutely. So the book of Judges follows what book? Joshua. And what happened to the city of Jericho in the book of Joshua? The walls fell down. It's destroyed. Prophecy was put on it that the guy who built the city would lay the foundations in his eldest and it would be completed with the death of his youngest. And that happens after the book of Judges. It's not right here. So when they say the city of palm trees, I don't think they're talking about Jericho itself, but maybe that region, that area. There's other cities around there, Gilgal and such. Uh, so I just want you to keep that in mind. It's around Jericho but maybe not Jericho specifically, as that's not really a city at this point. Uh, all right, so continuing on, we stopped there in verse 13, starting in verse 14 again. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord uh, raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. But Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges of a cubit length. And he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end of, of, uh, to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal. So there's Gilgal, we know it's that region. And said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, Keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat. And Ehud put forth his left hand, and took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the haft also went in after the blade, and the fat closed upon the blade, so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly. And the dirt came out. Then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. When he was gone out, his servants came, and when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked, they said, Surely he covereth his feet in his summer chamber. And they tarried till they were ashamed, and behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore they took a key and opened them, and behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. And Ehud escaped while they tarried. And passed beyond the quarries, and escaped unto Sirath. And it came to pass, when he was come, that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went down with him from the mount, and he before them. And he said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. 
And they went down after him and took the fords of Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty and all men of valor, and there escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest fourscore years. And we're going to stop there. A great victory and some interesting things we're going to look at here and consider and uh, make application for where we are at today. So let's start with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the legacy and the heritage that is here at, Bible Baptist, uh, at Faith Baptist Church. Lord, I thank you that the Word of God has been preached faithfully for so many years. I thank you that it, that it continues to this day. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in pastors and associates and staff members and the people of Faith Baptist Church that your word might continue, that your word might have preeminence, that Christ would be first and foremost, that as we consider our own lives and where we're at and what you have for us to do, that we would put aside ourselves and lift up Christ. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit today. May your message come forth. May your Holy Spirit be given freedom to work in the minds of men and women this morning, that Christ might be lifted up, that there might be surrender and humility to whatever you might call us to. I pray, Lord, that your will be done. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. So if you're familiar with the book of Judges, you know very well that this is a book of downward spiral, that Joshua ends on a high note and Israel just gets further and further away from God. And uh, I, I want you to keep in mind, too, as you consider the book of Judges, you're reading through it, re remember that these judges were primarily regional. They, they weren't necessarily over the entirety of the nation. They didn't act as, as uh, kings of sorts. Uh, they were very regional. And so here, looking at this region right here, the Moabites, uh, the Amalekites, Ammon, they were all mostly southern around the lower edges of Israel. And so they were coming up and coming across into Israel and, and occupying that lower region there. Uh, so not, not the entirety of the land. Um, the other connection that I want you to understand, if I, I don't know, I, I understand that your pastor is going through the book of Joshua, has been for a while. Uh, anybody know what chapter you're in most recently? 13? Uh, looks like some of you need to go back and watch some videos online just to be kept up and reminded. Uh, but anyway, you're in chapter 13, you're about halfway through, a little bit more. Uh, I, I don't know if Brother Stewart has made the connection, but I've always looked at that, uh, the book of Joshua, as a, a, for an application for you and I, it's living the victorious life, the victorious Christian living. That's what it is. That's how it applies to us. And so when I look at the book of Judges, I see kind of the opposite of that, losing the victorious Christian life. They, they got away from God so many times, and they repeat this same pattern over and over and over, and even... Even by the time we get here to chapter 3, uh, let's see, where is it? Uh, verse 12 is where we started. Already, even at the very beginning of this chapter, God has come to the place of saying, okay, we don't have to go through all the details of what Israel did that was evil inside of the Lord. You just need to know that's what happened. Yeah. 
That's what happened. God's not going to spend all this time telling people over and over and over, here's what they did. It's the same kind of thing. The God may have changed. The false God that they pursue after may have changed. But it's the same thing. They leave Jehovah God to serve some false God and it gets them in a bad place because they're leaving where God is. God doesn't move. God doesn't change. God's not deciding, you know, I'm going to go on a little sabbatical here for a while and y'all are just on your own for 18 years. God didn't do that. Israel continues to leave him. So in verse 12, right at the beginning, and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord raises up Eglon of Moab. And he allows him to come in and reign over that place and oppress the, the Israelite people for these 18 years. Another thing that always strikes me going through the book of Judges, why does Israel wait so long to cry out to God? Why do they wait? I mean, it, it takes them sometimes longer till they finally cry out to God and say, you know what, we need to get back to him. Uh, it would have been nice if they'd figured it out a little bit quicker. Uh, but I suppose that shows something uh, uh, even about ourselves, that we can get caught up in something and not even realize how far we are from God. Samson is a prime example of that. He knew not that the Spirit of the Lord had left him. Uh, so evil has been done. Eglon comes up. They're ravaging the land. They're, they are, uh, the, the seat of power is established in that area around Jericho. <clears throat> he reigns there for 18 years, and finally Israel cries out Je to Jehovah, who raises up a deliverer. And not much, I, I mean, there's, there's what we need to know about Ehud, but not much extra, right? You get down here to verse uh, 15, about halfway through. Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And the Benjamites were apparently known for having left-handed people. You look later in the book of Judges, and uh, there was what, tw an army of 26,000 Benjamites that were all left-handed and they could sling a stone at a hair's breadth. So this is something they're known for. H uh, how many lefties, oh, sorry, how many lefties we got here? <laughs> left-handed folks. No, raise your hand high. You got nothing to be ashamed of. There's only two. Wow. Wow, that's surprising. Even at our church, uh, we've got uh, uh, five or six, ten maybe, that are, uh, are left-handed. It's only two here. Boy, I don't know what that says, but I'll just leave that up to you. Uh, huh? Pastors left-handed. So that's why there's so few others? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, whatever reason it is, it's really neither here nor there. Uh, but Ehud is left-handed. Taking this present, probably the tribute. This is what they are owed to Eglon. This is what he requires uh, for his protection over the people, right? You bring me a present, and I'll make sure you're protected from everybody else. And uh, so he bring, Ehud brings the present, and uh, in the course of doing so, we've read through it already. Most of you, I'm sure, are familiar. On his right-hand side, I've always wondered whether it was hidden on his right side so nobody would check to look there or if it just being on his right I'm sorry right side that it being there if you're right-handed it's gonna be hard to pull a dagger out of your right side they'll have time to react but with it being left-handed that that gave him some advantage so that he could bring this present bring this secret message from God to Eglon and it was not something that was considered a big deal upon just looking at the guy it wasn't that big a deal, but it became a big deal. And he goes and he, he assassinates Eglon because that's really what it is, right? 
By the command of God, he assassinates Eglon. He is able to leave that place and is not found out. And he calls an army together there at the end of our passage. And they're able to drive forth the Moabites and uh, the Ammonites and the Amalekites. They are able to get rid of those people. They they have to go back across the fords of Jordan. And uh, Ehud and his men just simply don't let them. They, They kill them all. And that's where basically the story ends. They get 80 years of peace out of it. Praise the Lord. All that uh, drama, all that uh, subterfuge made for a lasting peace for quite a while. And so we look at that account, and if we're talking about how this applies to us, can I assure you that God does not want you to plan assassination attempts? That's not what God has for you. I think I can stand upon the Word of God when we get over to uh, when Christ was uh, arrested there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And He says, look, I'm not calling my, my servants to fight. I'm not calling them to pick up arms. I'm not calling them. If, if we were to fight, I could call down legions of angels and uh, no fighting would be necessary on the, on the behalf of my people. But that's not what we're here for. That's not what we're, we, we, we know. If we're talking about loving people and preaching Christ, that we understand too that people are not the enemy, are they? From, from a spiritual standpoint, when we're considering what God has for us and how God views this world and humanity, we know that people are not the enemy. As hateful as people can be, as mean as people can be, as contrary to God as a person or a group of people can be, they're not the enemy. They're in need of a Savior just like anybody else. So God has not called us to start assassinating uh, political people. He has not called us to assassinate leaders of, of uh, groups that are contrary to Christ. That is not what God has for us. So what are we supposed to learn from this? What does God have for us out of this passage of Scripture that can be of benefit? Now, now we've looked at the interpretation. Every Scripture has one interpretation. There's many applications. So we're going to go back and look over some things here concerning Ehud. Ehud especially, specifically, that I believe God wants you and I to learn that are very applicable for where we're at today. And I can't help knowing the message that it goes right along line with what Brother Eric's already been teaching this morning in Sunday school. Verse 15. Look up here in verse 15. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. And we've already read the account, so we know that Ehud being the judge, he is the deliverer, he is the one whom God is... And we don't... Uh, let, me, let me put this in here. We're obviously not seeing the specific call of God. On, on Ehud's life. We don't see God come to Ehud. We don't see an angel come to Ehud. There's not a prophet that comes to Ehud. Uh, it's kind of taken for granted, all of that information. And so if we don't specifically see the call, I, let's see, I'm going to ask a vague question. So let me give you a little bit of uh, lead up to it. So hopefully I get the right answer. You're, you're thinking in the same lines with me. Oftentimes when we see people called of God for a specific task, You could think of uh, Moses, we can think of Gideon, people like that. That God comes to them and God calls them and says, I've got a task for you, I want you to do this thing. And what is one of the first thing that so many do? They make excuses. 
they decide, oh God, now you know who you're talking to, right? You know who I am. You know where I've been. You, you know all these things. I can't speak, and I'm just not sure this is really... Did you really think this through? I mean, maybe we should give this a few more years to consider. What is then, what is missing in the account of Ehud? There's no excuses. There's nothing. Oh, well, but we don't have the whole call. So there was probably... Uh, now, 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 God's silent on that stuff. So I'm willing to assume that Ehud didn't make any. Maybe he recognized, okay, I, I see we live under oppression and God's calling me to do something about it, so I need to do something about it. So I'm going to do what God has for me to do. There's a, this call to work that Ehud gets right to it. He, he, he does what God called him to do. There's no account of Ehud arguing with God or looking for a way out of the call. There's no account of, of Ehud negotiating or making deals with God. Well, if you do this, I'll do this. It's the very next chapter, I think it is, with Barak and uh, uh, Deborah, that Barak says, well, Deborah, as long as you go with me, then I'll go. I, I don't know how much of a deal to make out of that, but that's the case. And so Deborah went and Barak went, and they win a great victory. And somebody else gets a lot of the credit. Man, I tell you what, I believe... In chapter 4, there's a message about jail. What a woman. But God has not given me liberty to preach that message just yet. And so it's not today's message. Well, all right, moving on from there. Uh, there is no account here of Ehud's hesitancy, hesitancy or doubt over the plan that God puts into action. There's nothing. It's like Ehud hears from God and just does it. Okay, yes, sir. Let's get to it. I see the need. I understand all these things, so let's get right to it. Boy, if only all God's people were like that. I, I can't say I always have been. I, I can remember arguing with God. Uh, so I, I first came to this church in 1990, and I got saved in 1991 at youth camp. And I'd had a profession of salvation uh, some years earlier than that. So I was nine years old when I got saved. It was four or five when I'd been told I got saved, I didn't remember it. I, I vaguely remembered a little tiny bit, and that probably was more along the lines of having been told it so many times that I thought I remembered, but I really didn't. So at youth camp that year, 1991, uh, I know, I know from the first day we had a preaching service, I needed to be saved. But I fought with God that whole week until Thursday night arguing with God about this, that, and the other thing. And we could say, I, I, I know it's been to some degree or another the same thing when God's called me to do something specific, whether it was getting into the ministry or, or some, some service, some work that God was calling me to, there's always a reason not to do something, right? I'm sure every one of us could think of a very, very good reason that God should work with somebody else to do that thing. But what we need is just say, you know what? God knows. It always strikes me when I think of it. God looked over the entirety of humanity. Not just the people that are alive when you are right now. God looked over all of humanity and put you right here. At this time, in this family, at this church, at this job, with these people. And now He, looking over again, all of humanity, said, I want you to do this for me. 
that should be very encouraging to us. That God knew, God knows, and he, he chose me. He really wants me to do this or He wouldn't be asking. He wouldn't be having me do that. He wouldn't give this task to me if He knew somebody else should be doing it. But He wants me to do this. God's plan was always to have men work. If go back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I, I fear that sometimes we get thinking that God, that part of the curse was work. That God wanted us to just be lazy all the time, right? This is mine, right? And nobody's drunk? Okay. I don't know that it would have mattered much in the first place. But uh, it, God never designed for people to just sit around and do nothing. There was a garden that God brought up, and when He put man in there... Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the, into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Sounds an awful lot like work. Work. Now the earth wasn't going to fight against him at this time. There weren't the thorns and thistles that were going to grow up to make that work hard. But it was still work. God wanted us to work. He wants people to work. Uh, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 9, God says, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Not if you want to, maybe, if you feel like it, if you're up to it, you can. No, no, no. It, these are the days for work. So you're, gonna, you're supposed to work. Nehemiah 4, 6, So built we the wall, and all the people was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Who gave them that mind? I think God did. I know there's lots about that, but I want us to see that people have a mind to work. When, when we're doing something maybe we want to do, we're more inclined to work. But God designed us to be that way. Psalm 104, verse 23. Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. God takes it for granted that we work. And we could look at those verses that talk about uh, it is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Joe in here? <laughs> Joe's older than I am. Today, he's, the, today is his birthday. And he's, so I'm 41, he's 44. He's 44. And even just in the last day or so, spending some time with him, he's got more aches and pains than I do. <laughs> I'm his brother, right? So I can poke fun at the fact that he's aching more than me. Uh, although we had a men's prayer meeting this morning and I got down on my knees and just about got myself stuck there for a minute. <laughs> Dad had to help me up uh, because I recognize the truth in me too. I'm getting older and it hurts more. There's things that I did when I was 24 I would not dream of doing now. I would not. I, I ha uh, one of the guys in our church, uh, he called it risk averse. And I am becoming more risk averse all the time. I'm content to be in no big hurry. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. So God designed us to work. We're supposed to work. It, it is part of human nature. And, and more than human nature, it is God's design for us. And Ehud's working. We're, we're working. Christ knew. Look over at John chapter 4. I'm sorry, 9. John chapter 9 and verse 4. Joe's probably in the back somewhere listening. I'm going to get beat up later, so... I come to preach tonight in a sling. I need some witnesses. Uh, so, 
All right, here, John chapter 9, verse 4. We're, we're going to look at it in just a second. Christ knew and He reveals here that God is more concerned with spiritual work than with temporal work. Uh, Brother uh, Eric made the point very well in Sunday school class this morning that we, we do our job to enable us to do God's work. That's why we work a job. That's why we're busy about uh, money is a, a necessary evil, if you will. I like what Solomon said, that I don't want to have so little that I'm tempted to steal. I don't want to have so much that I'm not relying upon God. And I think that is a good sentiment for believers to have. Getting money and money and more and more and more is not God's purpose for our lives. But to be busy about that spiritual work of preaching Christ, of letting people know that there's a God in heaven, a Christ who died on the cross, who shed His blood for the, soul, for, for the souls of men, that sin might be paid for completely and totally. Tetelestai, paid in full, it is finished. It is finished. So John chapter 9, verse 4. I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And we know for sure that Christ was not primarily concerned about building cabinets or fixing carts or putting in rafters. He was a carpenter, and I'm certain that Christ was a man's man. But the work that God called him to do was to preach the kingdom of heaven. And so we are called to view very much the same, to preach Christ. We have so much time on this earth. The day will come when we will not be able to. I mentioned a moment ago about getting aches and pains and stuff and how we transition through life, through different stages of life. And every one of us could know, especially more mature, would understand, you know what, the things I used to be able to do, I can't do those anymore. What if I can't go out door knocking? You know, I'm going to go down the street for two hours and knock every door and talk to every person I can. What if you're simply physically not capable of that. Does that mean you say, well, my hands are washed, I'm done of this? No, you can, you can pray with people. There, there's, there, just because you can't do one thing doesn't mean there's not something else you can do. Uh, can, mm, I'm trying to get ahead of myself just a little bit. God's called you to work. So if He's called you to work, He has a work for you to do, He prepares you for that work. I'm sorry, Brother Eric, I'm using most of your points here. But uh, (laughs) it it works well. He prepared us to work. We're looking at Ehud, right? Back over there in Judges chapter 3. Ehud, as he's taking this work, he's taking this responsibility. What do we see about Ehud? It starts there in verse 15. The son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. Up until some years back, left-handedness was almost considered a disability, wasn't it? Anybody here that when you were growing up, you were left, what? There's only two left-handed people. So, Miss Sue, uh, when you were younger and learning how to write, did they try to force you to write with your right hand? They did. And that used to be the case, that that was the common thing. Oh, you don't, don't do it with your left. You do it with your right. That's how to write. It's called writing, right? So you can't do it with your left. <laughs> It's not lefting, it's writing. So you're, you're going to write with your, left, your right hand because that's the way it's done. And so I don't know exactly how it would have been in Bible times, but it seems like it has been viewed as a disability in years past. And Ehud said, oh no, I can use that. I can use that. This, this helps me. This works to my benefit. This works in my favor. It's just how he was. 
And God knew how he was, and so he could take what he already had, what God had already given to him, and said, I can use you for in this way at this time to do my work, and I've already given you everything you need. A man left-handed. Uh, let's see, it continues on. Verse 16, but Ehud made him a dagger which had two edges. Any, uh, what would that be called? Somebody that makes knives. A blacksmith? Would it just be a blacksmith? Bladesmith? Any bladesmiths in here? Even fewer than left-handed people. Honestly, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, bladesmith is not a common type job. So if none of us here can do it, I don't know how common it was then, but apparently Ehud could do it. Ehud knew how to make a dagger. I don't know how to make a dagger. I understand it takes heat and pressure and there's certain ways to do it at certain times to do certain things. Uh, otherwise, you'll end up with a mess. That's what I know. But Ehud know, knew how to do that. So that even then, God was picking this person because he knew how to do something that would help in God's perfect plan. I'm not saying up here this morning that God wants you all to be bladesmiths and you need to take up a new hobby. What I am saying is that God has already given you things that He wants to use in your life to accomplish His purpose. You just have to be willing to say, Here I am, Lord, use me. I am willing to be used. You've called me and you know all of these things. You have already prepared me and so I am willing to go and do what you've called me to do. I'm willing to do whatever it is. Understanding too that as we face difficulties, as we face trials, as new things come in our life, and, and we face something we've never faced before, that God is using those things to prepare us for something still yet future. Something that He still has for us. Um, it, it is incredible to me that... I'm trying to think of which anecdote to use. I'm sorry. Um, I'll use one from further ago, longer in the past. Um, we had a scenario, I don't want to go bore you with all the details, but we had a situation that I had never faced before as a pastor. Presented with an issue, presented with a couple of different things that needed to happen, one of several, and I called up a couple of preacher friends and said, hey, here's the situation, here's what's going on, what do you think I should do, what advice could you offer me? And they said, brother, I have never faced that in my entire life. I've never heard of anybody who faced that. Oh, Lord bless you. Thanks for all the help. And that was it. But now I've faced that. And if somebody happened to come to me with a similar type of problem, I could say, you know what, here's some things to try and here's some things to consider and maybe you want to do this and not this because I made some mistakes and I'd like to think I did some things right as well. But any kind of situation that comes up, you're facing something new, praise the Lord for people who've already faced it that can give you advice. But sometimes you're blazing a trail and God's preparing you for whatever it is that's next. How willing are you going to be to accept that? To say, I, I am here. Be like Esther that's for such a time as this. And I'm going to trust in you and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to do what you've called me to do, even if I don't understand entirely. Ehud used his talents and his advantages as well as his distinctiveness, those things that were unique to him that maybe others looked at as a disadvantage and he used them for God's purpose. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor 
sanctified and meet from the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Getting rid of the things that weigh us down that don't need to be there and just letting God use us for whatever his purpose is. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. If you go ahead and look over there. Brother Randall, every year at the beginning of the school year here at school, do you still do this, Brother Eric? The first day of school? Ecclesiastes 9.10. That was our first devotion. Uh, So we'd get together and be prepared down in the learning center at 8.30 and we'd do whatever. I don't even remember what all we had to do. But we'd go up for devotions at the bleachers in the gym and we always knew the first day was Ecclesiastes 9.10 which says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. The point being, do your best now because in this life, is your opportunity to affect this life. After this life is over, sure, whatever you may have written, whatever influence you may have had might continue on in somebody's life, but you can't do anything new after you're passed on. There's no more that you can add to it. So once you're you're, you're standing before Christ, whatever regrets you have, they're in stone, and it's too late now. You can't undo it. We've got to do, we've got to take those things that might even seem to us to be disabilities and use them for God's purpose. To be willing to use it for whatever. We've already been prepared. We have the training, we have the preparation, we just need to use it. There in our main passage, verse 30 said, Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest fourscore years. There's a call to work, there's preparation for work, there's a reward for work. Praise the Lord for reward for work. Everybody know what uh, Mahomes' reward for his work was? Disneyland, or Disney World, one or the other. What do you do now that you've won the Super Bowl? I'm going to Disney World. That's what everybody says, right? And apparently he did it. That was his reward for all the work he put in. I don't know if it's worth it, but anyway... uh, (laughs) <laughs> it was a reward. He does get paid a lot of money too. So, But there's a reward. You work and there's a reward. I mean, that's a common principle. We get paid for work, right? Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Positive or negative. That, that is a, a truth that goes both ways. It's just a set standard truth. You will get paid for what you do. There will be sowing if there, I'm sorry, there will be reaping if there has been sowing. 1 Timothy 5, 18. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And the laborer is worthy of his reward. This is how God views things. We cannot go through life thinking that, you know what, this thing over here, I'm going to do this and it, it won't matter. It's hidden to everybody else. It's a sinful thing. It's a wrong thing. But if it's just between me and God, you know, God knows, yeah, I know that. But it's just me, so it won't be a big deal. You better not think that way. God has a way of bringing those things into the forefront. Even if nobody ever does find out about it, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Who knows what things that could affect. And the same goes by the other way, that if we're going out and giving, we're loving people and preaching Christ, that God is going to give that reward. Over the years at uh, uh, Bible Baptist there in Glenwood, 
it has amazed me to be able to go out on a Saturday. We call it gospel sowing. Because if you're doing soul winning, you don't always win souls. But if I'm going gospel sowing, boy, I always sow seed. So 100%, I'm for it. So anyway, we go gospel sowing, and we could go to any number of houses, and none of those people ever come to church. But yet, somehow we still have visitors come to church. Nobody we talk to, nobody we gave information to, but they come. And I believe it's because God is rewarding the faithfulness to go and tell. Even if the people you talk to didn't come, God has other people in the works. God has folks that He wants to reward the work. He wants to give reward for what you've done for Him. Uh, let's see, Psalm 28, verse 4. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them after the work of their hands. Render to them their dessert. You didn't know that was biblical, did you? Getting their just dessert. It's right there. God started that. Psalm 62, verse 12. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. It's the fact. There is reward for work. Reward awaits. But then do we consider the end of the matter? Do we think about it? Do we, do we as we're going through the motions, uh, can, I, can I be open with you again? Uh, I don't always look forward to gospel sowing. Sometimes my flesh does not want to go. It's cold, it's hot. I, I sweat profusely, and I feel like a fool standing at somebody's door drenched in sweat, and I can only imagine some of the thoughts that go through people's heads. But I know it's what God wants us to do. And, and when we're given the opportunity to give the gospel, to open up God's word, to show somebody what God has for them, that always energizes me real fast. And then all the other stuff goes away, and whatever concerns or, or something that would draw me back from it, i like, man, we should just go all day now. Break for lunch, get some water, and then get right back to it. I'm ready for it. Considering the end, that we're giving the gospel, we're trying to lead people to Christ, we're trying to show them what God has for them that's so much better than anything this world has to offer. Considering the end. Scripture speaks of five crowns that can be won. I, I don't know that I commend somebody that would say, oh, I'm not about reward. I just want to do God's work. Well, God said there's reward. There's nothing wrong with expecting the reward. Amen. Maybe we don't do it wholly for the reward, but there's nothing wrong with expecting the reward. I want that crown of righteousness. I want that crown of life. So then we can cast it at His feet, saying, Lord, You did this through us. We're just a tool. We're just a vessel. We've been available. We've been prepared. God did all the work, and this is the reward that we get to give back to you. Amen. Those five crowns, he says that if we go forth bearing precious seed, we'll return with sheaves. Don't we all want to return with fruit? Don't we all want to be able to stand before God one day and say that there's, there, somebody came to know Christ because of our ministry? I am not a hundredfold plant. I have determined that in my life. I, I believe that wholly uh, I'm not hundredfold. But God didn't say there was only hundredfold. There's also 30 and 60. And I imagine there's some other numbers in there too that God's okay with. God didn't call us to be like somebody else who in our minds does a better job. God didn't tell when those, uh, uh, those servants came forward and this guy had 10, uh, he, he doubled his talents or pounds, whichever one you're looking at, 
that one had five and now he's got ten, the other's got two and now he's got four. He didn't get on it. Well, why didn't you make him ten? He didn't do that. Well done. You did what I wanted you to do. It doesn't matter what the other guy did. You don't have to compare yourselves among yourselves. Be willing to say, you know what? I'm looking forward to God saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So I'm going to do what God has enabled me to do and praise the Lord for it. Gold and silver and precious stones, all that stuff. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. God's offered reward. He says it's there. It's appropriate to work towards that end. Consider the end as you begin to do your work. Uh, Look over at uh, Ecclesiastes 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 8. Excuse me. As Solomon is preaching, he's the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he's looking at, at life under the sun. Life discounting God. Let's set God aside for a while. And here's what life looks like. And he brings God back in on occasion. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 8, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Considering the end. That it may be a hard start. It may be difficult to get going. But God is taking you somewhere. And you've got to be willing to go. You've got to be willing to follow. You've got to be willing to let Him work through you. And it is somewhat conditional, isn't it? that we have the choice of how much God works in our lives. We do let Him. We give Him permission. That, that's part of God's unconditional love for us. It's part of uh, the, the, the free will that God has given to us. He doesn't force us to love Him. There's a term for that. It's not a nice term, but God doesn't do that. He loves us and gives us the opportunity to choose to whatever degree we're going to love and follow Him. One more. A reason for work. We have a reason, but are we motivated? Back there in in our passage, Judges chapter 3, if you look there in verse 15... I, I want to make a little bit of a stretch. I, I don't think it's in an appropriate stretch, but it's something we're not told in Scripture that I do believe is an, an appropriate assumption. When the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, this is verse 15, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon the king of Moab. Ehud is putting his life on the line, isn't he? Ehud is going before the king. He's going to be one-on-one with the king. And I assume this king had guards of some kind or another. What if any one of those guards had gotten suspicious? What if Ehud had said, Sure, I'm happy to listen to your secret message, but uh, Cletus and Brutus here are going to stay. How... How much might that have affected Ehud's decision to pull out his blade? 
Ehud is taking his life in his hands with the great potential of being executed by day's end. Unceremoniously, I might add. Why? Why would he do that? We can see the obvious, that God raised him up for it. Why would an Israelite put his life on the line? And I can think of two primary reasons, which we've already roughly mentioned one. One is his love for God. My God has called me to do this. I love my God. I will do whatever God wants me to do. I don't think that's too much of a stretch. The other, he's an Israelite too. And this is the area where he lives. And because my people are being oppressed, because my people are being treated so poorly, I love my people. I love my country. And I'm willing to put my life on the line to provide freedom for my people. I love my God and I love my country. And so my life is potentially forfeit that God's will be done. So what's his reason? He loves his God and he loves his country. I know the country aspect plays a less significant role in why we would preach Christ. But don't we love the people around us? Don't we, we love our friends and our neighbors and the co-workers? May it never be said that we spend so many years around people, whether it's at work or home or whatever, and we never deigned to present them with even a tract. Never took the time to say, do you know Christ? Do you understand the story of Christmas, the story of Easter? If we were to go through all the different ways we could introduce Christ to somebody, we'd be here a long time. It's not just one. There's lots of different things we could do. We live around these people. We walk amongst these people. And I can't help but look back at my own life and remember when we've lived in a house and neighbors came and neighbors left or we moved. And there's some of them I never did talk to. That's not something to be proud of. What's our reason? We love our God. I mean, that's your theme for the year, right? Loving people, preaching Christ. We love our God. We love these people. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Got a few verses here. We're going to spend a little bit more time in looking up these verses than we have so far. Excuse me, but I want you to see these things. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 20. Right there at the very end of the chapter, so right before chapter 31, verse 20 says, That thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. That thou mayest love the Lord thy God. Look over at John chapter 14. We're going through this relatively quickly here at this point, because you know these things. You know these things. It's not new. It's not a surprise. John chapter 14. Excuse me, I'm sorry. John 14 and verse 15. If ye love me, keep.
keep my commandments. And then down to verse 21 as well. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. This is after salvation. Salvation has already been received by these people. But because we love him, we want to do. And because we do, then his love is shown forth more in our lives. And it reveals the love that we have for him as we do. It's what's already there. Luke chapter 17. Luke 17 and verse 10. This is always a hard verse to me because it seems like there should be more gratitude. Look at all the things I've done, and shouldn't there be more gratitude? Well, that's a very self-centered way of thinking, isn't it? Luke 17, verse 10. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that, that which was our duty to do. Yeah. Well, it was just our duty. We're just doing our duty. Is that what you're saying? That, that all that and God isn't, doesn't thank us? Who owes whom thanks? Yeah. He has done far more than we could ever repay. When he hung on that cross, he endured far more than you or I ever will. I know that we have the burden of our sin upon us during the course of our lives. I hope that makes sense. I'm not saying we're paying for our sin, but that we understand our own sin. I understand my sin, the weight of my sin on my shoulders. I remember the things I've done wrong. I remember the guilt that I have for this, that, or the other. Christ knows all of it. All of it. Not just yours but everybody else's as well. He took all of it. And so when he hung on that cross and he shed his blood and he took our sin upon himself, it is we that owe him thanks. Thank you for bringing us to this place. Thank you for providing eternal life. Thank you for coming and letting us know. Is God any more God because we are his child? Certainly not. God is God whether everybody was saved or nobody was saved. He's still very much God. We have not done him some great benefit and some favor by becoming his child. The blessing is all on our side. Do you love the Lord enough to do the hard work even without blessing and acknowledgement? Job has been on my mind a lot in the last few months. And when Satan tells God, doth Job serve God for naught? That hits me hard. How much do we expect from God? Does Satan come before Christ? And I know Christ to say it's under the blood, it's under the blood. But does, Christ, uh, does Satan come before Christ and say, does Ben Quinlan serve God for naught? 
If God were to take everything from you, would you still serve him? Would you, like Job, say, naked came I into the world and naked shall I go hence? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. He's called us to do a work. Do we love him enough to do it? He's made the call. He's prepared us. He's given us reward. He, he promises reward for it. He gives us reason to do so. Stand with me if you would.